0: Also want to remind the graduates, we're going to be honoring you in the service next week. And so if you're graduating from high school on up, if you have graduated from high school on up, we want to honor you. And so please go by the table in the lobby and put your name down and your phone number down so we can contact you this week and be prepared to honor you next week. So high school graduation, associates, bachelor's, master's, doctorate, Um Trade school, beautician school, whatever you're graduating from, uh, then uh, go ahead and, and sign up for that. I'm glad there is beautician school because I need all the help I can get. Amen? So, Judges 6. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We'll read responsively from verse responsively from 25 down through 28, beginning with uh, verse 25. I'll read the odd verses and we'll read the even verses together. The Bible says, And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. Together, verse 26, And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household in the midst of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down that was by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. Before we pray, I'd like to read one other verse for you. You can just listen as I read it. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says this, In what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I want to preach a sermon today that has a paradoxical type title. The title of the sermon is this, Christian Idolatry. Christian idolatry. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would give me clarity of mind and help me to preach your word in a way that honors and pleases you. Lord, I have no doubt that this is the sermon you have for today. And I I pray that as I have studied and prepared, that you would help me to preach it in a way that honors you. Lord, may we together collectively have a heart to follow your word, to live by it, to understand it, to allow it to guide our lives. May we be willing to bend and give, and Lord, throw out things in our lives that don't please you. I pray, God, today you give us a wonderful spirit. Thank you for the singing and how it's moved our hearts and prepared us for the preaching of your word. Do a work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the book of Judges is a fascinating book. The book of Judges is, about, is, is the story of the history of Israel. Uh, between their settling down in the Promised Land, Joshua led them out of Egypt... Many of you saw the cartoon movie, Prince of Egypt, based on the story of Exodus in the Bible, uh, based out of uh, that. And he led them across the, the, the desert. And then after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, he led them into their promised land, the land that had been promised to their forefather, Abraham. Joshua led the charge. They uh, quickly uh, defeated all the enemies that were there. And before you know it, they set up shop and began their own country, the country of Israel, Israel. Um, they did not have a king or a political leader. God wanted to be their king, and he wanted them to just love him and serve him and follow the Torah, the law, the, the, as they were given. Uh, the Torah contains civil law, it contains dietary laws, and it contains moral laws, and it was their law book. Uh, and all of it was there, all they had to do is behave they did not need a king that was going to take their men for war. They did not, meet, they did not need a king that was going to tax them. Uh, how would you like to live in a country where everyone behaved and you didn't need a political leader and God kept you safe from foreign enemies? Wouldn't that be great? No taxes. Can I get an amen right there? No taxes. But that's not our reality. And it quickly, uh, 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 that reality for them began to fade away because what we find is that these Israelites could not behave themselves. They wanted to be like all the other countries around them. Well, in what way? The other countries around them worshipped idols. They bowed down to golden statues and and statues made with their hand of silver, gold and other materials. And uh, 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 peer pressure uh, from the other countries, wanting to be like the other countries, quickly began to overtake them. And God came in and said, you're my people. You're not to worship idols. And if you're going to do that that I'm going to allow you to be overtaken and drug away from this country the 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 protection, the military, uh, the political protection uh, that you have around you is going to dissolve and I'm going to allow you to be overtaken. So what is the book of Judges? The book of Judges is a cycle of of captivity and then repentance to God. And then God would raise up a judge. They would be delivered from uh, militarily delivered from their enemy. They would set up shop. That judge would rule over them, not politically, but spiritually help keep them in check. That judge would die. Die. The next generation would grow up. They would do evil. They would uh, worship idols. God would send in another enemy and then they would be carried away. And it's this cycle that never ends and or rather it didn't end for a long time. Eventually it would end by God sending in a king to lead them. Uh, king Saul would be the first king. So here in Judges, we find the judge of Gideon and Gideon was an odd choice to be a leader because Gideon was an introvert. In fact, in Judges chapter 6, in the beginning of the chapter, we find that they have fallen captivity to the nation of Midian, the Midianites, and, uh, and, and Gideon here, he is the lowest man in the entire country. Gideon is the youngest son of his father. His father is the lowest of all of the families within his tribe. And his tribe is the lowest of the tribes of, of Israel. Literally, God went and found the lowest man on the totem pole and said, You are a valiant man, a man of valor. And Gideon looked around and said, Me? Hey, uh, do you notice where I'm at right here? I am in the valley threshing wheat. Throwing the wheat in the air. You don't thresh wheat in a valley. You do that on a mountaintop. Now, why was he in the valley? The Bible tells us because he didn't want the Midianites to catch him. There he is, cowering away in the valley, threshing wheat, taking him way longer to do it there. And the angel of the Lord, I believe being an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, shows up and says, You are a man of valor, and I want you to lead my people out of captivity. I have seen their broken hearts, their broken spirits. ...about their sin and I want you to lead them. And Gideon says, no way, man, not me. And so uh, he says, uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this fleece out. Uh, This fleece is a blanket. I'm going to put it out. And uh, if it is dry tomorrow and the ground around it is wet, then I'll know that you want me to um, lead the people. So he wakes up the next morning and sure enough, all the ground is wet and the fleece is dry. He said, oh, well, that's not good enough. I need another sign from the Lord. I'm going to put it out tomorrow. I want it to be the opposite. And so he woke up the next morning, and the fleece was wet, and the, and the ground was dry. And uh, uh, so uh, he knew it was to be him, and God said, okay, the very first thing I want you to do is I want you to go where your dad has his idols set up, and I want you to tear those down. That's tough to do. You're going to go up, and you're going to turn your dad's religion upside down, and I want you to offer a bullock in its place. I want you to perform a sacrifice that is in line with my word, with my teachings, with Jewish tradition that represents the death of the Messiah one day to come. So Gideon waited till it was dark and everyone was asleep and he got some men together and they tore down the groves of uh, of the false idols and he offered it and that was not a popular move. We'll see that more about that in a minute. Now, idolatry in the Old Testament was very Pronounced. It was very pronounced. There were high places set up. And if you go to India today, you see much of the same where there are little temples or little gathering places all along the road with all these different idols. And that's how it was back then. It was very pronounced. You bowed down and you worshiped a false idol. The idolatry was pronounced. The idolatry was on purpose. The idolatry was Pushy. Uh, you were expected to do it by those around you. There was a peer pressure to it. It was pushy. And to God, the idolatry was putrid. It was putrid. It was abominable. Uh, he could not stand it. It made him sick to his stomach. Why? Because over and over again, God reminded his people, hey, you belong to me. You're mine. I have chosen you. I have protected you. I have loved you, as Jeremiah said, with an everlasting love. And we are in a covenant union together. You have chosen me and I have chosen you. And going back to Abraham, we we are in a covenant together. What was God saying? He was saying, hey, Israel, don't you cheat on me. Israel, don't stray from me. Israel, don't... Worship idols. Sometime back, I listened to the Bible on audio, and you can get through the Bible really fast when you do it that way, and I'll tell you what I walked away with. I walked away with the idea that God, the purpose of the Old Testament from a macro standpoint, from a helicopter view looking down, the Old Testament is mainly about this topic here. God hates it when his people are unfaithful to him. God loves them, God's faithful to them, and when they stray away to to idol worship, they stray away from God and choose other things, God punishes them to bring them back. Now why? God was saying here, you're not to cheat on me, stray from me, you're not to worship idols. Why? Because I am worthy of your worship. I am worthy of your worship, and I am wanting of your worship. Why did God create mankind? So that man would worship Him. Man would pleasure him. When they strayed away from worshiping him to worship those things which were made by man's hands, the hands of mankind, it it hurt God deeply, much like a woman who catches her husband in an affair. The Israelites failed to keep their end of the covenant. They rebelled and they ran to idol worship. Now, much of the Old Testament is written with that in mind. Idol worship and Israel straying from God to run to paganism and idolatry. And God would chasten them and bring them back into a, a right and loving relationship. So, when the Old Testament ends, did the idolatry end? No, it didn't. How about when the Bible was completed? Did did God's people uh, uh, grow past their idolatrous ways? Nope. Well, Well, Pastor, how about the the growth and the maturity of the church in the New Testament? Has idolatry ceased to be a temptation? Absolutely not. You might ask, is is idolatry prevalent today? Is it? A struggle amongst those in this room. I would say that Christians today have chosen the absolute worst form of idolatry. What have we done is we have turned the God of the Bible into a false idol. Now, that's a weird statement. Let me explain that. What I have seen in my Christian life, growing up through church, watching my own habits and behavior and that of those around me, and now after having pastored for two years, what I have seen is that when we hear something preached from the Bible about God that we like, oh boy, we embrace that. But then when we read something out of the Bible that we don't like, that we don't want to follow, that we don't enjoy, we reject that. So what we're doing is we're tailor-making God into who we want Him to be to fit our lifestyle and the way that we're living and what is uh, comfortable for us and what is convenient for us. And if there's a passage in the Bible that rubs us the wrong way, that would require us to change, we wince, we push away, we want nothing to do with it. And what we've done is we've said, God, I'll worship You, but I'll worship You on my terms. I'll worship You as long as it's comfortable and convenient for me. And what we've done is we've turned God into someone that he's not, and we're only willing to worship that God, that version of God, that pleases and appeases us. And my friend, that is the worst form of idolatry. That is Christian idolatry. Now, the sermon I'm preaching today is, uh, is unorthodox for a Sunday morning type sermon. I love to preach on the love of God. I do that a lot. Uh, I love to teach on, preach and teach on the Christian home. Uh, I love to teach and preach on how good God is and all those things. Uh, I'll say this this morning. This is not the type of sermon that you would hear from a Joel or or and Andy Stanley. They would never preach what I'm about to preach. But I believe this, that if the crowd of people that are hearing this, both here and on the live stream, and we'll watch it later on YouTube, if the people that hear this sermon will get hold of and understand this truth. It will revolutionize how you view God in the Bible. It will take the cap of growth off of you and allow you to really begin to grow for the Lord. To every professing Christian, there are attributes of the Bible that all of us enjoy more than others. We cling to, we run to the parts that excite us and that we find easy to comply. Uh, I get up and preach on, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you sit back and you smugly pull on your suit jacket, man, and you say, no problem there. I've been faithful to my wife for 30 years. And to that I say, praise the Lord, Uh, 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 we need marital fidelity. And you sit there and think, you can preach on that all day, preacher. However, when the Bible addresses an item that doesn't fit your lifestyle, well, we just dismiss that. We may not be so blunt to admit it, that we're dismissing it. But our actions scream that the love I have for myself and my lifestyle trumps my love for God and the Bible. In essence, we worship the parts of God that are convenient and we dismiss the parts of God that aren't. We turn God into who we want Him to be. Intellectually, we turn Him into someone He's not, and that's the only version of God and His Word we'll conform to. I think of uh, Jimmy Carter, who was a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher prior to being a president, I guess afterwards as well. Someone asked him, they said, What do you think about women submitting to their husbands in Ephesians 5? And he said, well, I think I believe the whole Bible except for Ephesians chapter 5. That's pretty bold to come out and say that. But Christians, if we're honest, we kind of do that too. We may not say that. You ever been reading your Bible and you scratch your head and say, I don't know about that. You ever listen to a sermon and you, you know, it's chucked full of scripture and you can't deny it's biblical, but you walk away and go, uh, not for me. That's not a good, that's not a good habit to get into. Now, this phrase, Christian idolatry, I propose that it's everywhere. It creeps into the hearts of each of us and we allow our sinful habits and our pride and stubbornness to change the God of the Bible into a God That is convenient to us. We must be willing... Listen here, we must be willing to surrender our stubborn wills to the command of God and His Word. We must be willing to confess and eliminate our pride that brings about self-worship. We must be willing to accept God for who He is and be willing to bend our lifestyle to His words and not expect Him, God, to bend to our lifestyle and the way that we live or want to live. So, this morning, let's jump into the outline and look at... Three thoughts as we consider the great sin of Christian idolatry and what we can do to overcome it. I'd encourage you to take notes. The, the, the points will be on the screen, so take notes if you can. You can review this later. Number one, notice the reality of Christian idolatry. The reality of Christian idolatry. As we look back at Old Testament idolatry, we can begin to understand about the idolatry that we battle In our hearts as we parallel it to the idolatry they battled in their hearts. So let's observe some things about idolatry this morning. Notice letter A, idols are invented. Idols are invented. Take your Bibles back with me. Hold your place where you're at there in Judges. Take your Bibles back with me to Leviticus chapter 19. Here God is laying out the law for his people, specifically to the Levites who are to lead the, the nation in worship. If you're wanting to know what worship is and how it works, Leviticus is a great book to study and understand. Uh, if you're a new Christian, it is a tough book, but if you've been at it a long time and you've grown in your faith, grown in your understanding of God's Word, read Leviticus through the scope that this is how God wanted His priests to lead the country in worship. With that in mind, He's instructing the priest here in Leviticus 9 19, verse 4, he says, turn ye not unto idols. Well, as those who are leading the country in worship, that's really good advice. Look at the rest of the verse. Nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. So where are these idols going to come from? Well, they're made. They're made by the priests or they're made by people. Turn over to chapter 26 and verse 1. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse number 1. Bible says there, ye shall make you no idols nor graven images. We find in the in the uh, in the Bible a story about Moses. He he went up into the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. While he was up there, the the Israelites came to Aaron. Aaron is the first high priest. Aaron is Moses' brother. I don't think he'd been made the priest at this point. But they went to him and they said, hey, we want you to make us a god. He said, all right, men, give me your earrings. Give me all your jewelry. And he took it and he, he melted it all down. And he reshaped it into a golden calf. The funny part about the story is when Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, they're all dancing around and having a big party and, and committing all this idolatry. Moses goes up to Aaron and he says, what are you doing? And Aaron, you know how like when you're caught on the, caught on the spot, you make up the worst lies? Aaron says, well, I just threw all the gold in the fire and and outshot this golden calf. I don't know how that happened. Moses was Aaron's brother. I'm sure he whacked him upside the head. That's what I would have done. Um, idols are invented. Idols are invented. And the idols that we worship, while they're philosophical in nature, we invent them ourselves as well. Letter B. Letter B. Notice, idols are inferior. Idols are inferior. Turn over to 1 Chronicles 16. That's in the Old Testament. Corinthians is in the New Testament. Chronicles is in the Old Testament. 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles. And so if you're at Samuel, you went too far, or rather, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles. So let me uh, think through that again. If you're in Samuel, keep going to the right there. Uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse number 26. I love this verse. I want you to see this. And if you bark in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline this verse. This is one of those uh, contrasts verses. It says there, for all the gods, notice the little g. All the gods of the people are idols. Remember, idols are invented. But the Lord made the heavens. But the Lord made the heavens. Hey, you invented your gods, but your god invented you. You see that you you made with your hands. Uh, 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 the gods that you worship. God created the heavens with the with His voice. He didn't even need His hands. He just spoke it, and bang, there it was. He just spoke, and the earth you're standing on is there. And the truth is, God could have spoken you into existence had He chosen, but He loves you so much He reached down in the sand and He formed you a uh, uh, formed mankind with His hands. Then He put Adam to sleep and took a rib out of Adam, and He made the first woman. In Eve and God uh, made you and you're making your idols, idols are inferior. So I ask you this morning, why do you choose idolatry when it is an inferior concept? Why are you worshiping a version of God that's convenient to you when that version of God is far inferior to the God of the Bible? When I was in uh, Bible college, I had a job at Avert Express driving a forklift. One of our jobs there was to take the freight that came out of the truck and put it on this giant scale and we would weigh that freight and uh, we would make sure that the shipper was being honest about the weight of their freight because that's how they were charged. And so uh, we had contests that whoever uh, discovered the greatest discrepancies of, uh, of, of of the weight, the weight discrepancies there, they would uh, they would win various things. One month, the supervisors came out, they got creative with it, and they said, "We're going to give the, the the dock worker that discovers the most discrepancies, we're going to allow them to pick whatever restaurant in the Chicagoland area they want and eat one entree off of that off of that uh, menu." I mean, you've got Giordano's, you've got some fabulous rib restaurants, you've got incredible steak restaurants. The food in Chicago is awesome. of hey, the Bailey? You had a chance to experience that yet, girls? Becca, you're from there, right? So you know all about it. So the young man that won, we had a shift meeting, and they asked him, they said, uh, All right, you won. So what's it going to be? He said, I want a double Whopper meal from Burger King. <laughs> and we all started laughing, and we thought he was being funny. He was a little bit of a clown, and and they said, all right, what do you really want? No, no, that's really what I want. And he said, the supervisor said, it was a, it was a guy who graduated from college, he said, you can't be kidding. He said, no, that's what I want. You mean all these other options, and you want a double Whopper from Burger King? He said, yeah, that's what I want. And so he said, well, will you at least let me large size it for you? And he said, all right, go ahead and large size it. And and he, he took... A far inferior option, something he could have had at any point, and left a high dollar item on the table. He chose the inferior object, and while we laugh and while that's silly, what I see with a lot of Christians is they're choosing to live a version of Christianity that is far inferior to what you could have if you would submit your heart to the Holy Spirit and let God be in charge and worship the God of the Bible instead of a made-up version. Let her see. We see idols can be inconspicuous or hard to identify. Idols can be inconspicuous. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, the Bible says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. That was a message from Samuel the prophet to King Saul there. But uh, what was the point uh, that uh, the prophet was trying to make to this first king of Israel was that you are stubborn. And your version of idolatry, you're not bowing down to an idol, you're bowing down to yourself stubbornness. We need stubbornness when it comes to standing up for what's right. But we don't need stubbornness when the Word of God is preached or read and, and God uh, uh, through His Holy Spirit is stepping on our toes and we refuse to change. We refuse to alter. We refuse to give in. We refuse to surrender. And what uh, what in essence that comes down to is that our stubbornness represents uh, the idolatrous worship of ourself and our own ideas and a narcissistic type attitude. But uh, So stubborn or idolatry can be inconspicuous. We can be idolatrous in our hearts and not even realize that we're doing it through the message this morning i hope you'll take a few minutes to study your heart and ask yourself do i have any philosophical idolatry inside of me the second uh, uh, inconspicuous way that we see idolatry rearing its ugly head in our hearts uh, from a scriptural standpoint is covetousness covetousness colossians chapter 3 Verse number five says, mortify, therefore, your members uh, or your uh, uh, the deeds of your flesh, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, outside of church, you don't hear the word covetous very much. You don't walk around and say, hey, neighbor, are you coveting after my freshly manicured lawn? You don't talk like that, right? But coveting, uh, coveting is wanting something that you can't have. Wanting something you can't have. Took a trip to Louisiana this past week. I came out of a uh, gas station. It was a rundown gas station, and there was a Maserati sitting right there. We see a lot of those around this area, right? Uh, we were just talking to my uncle, and he was asking what the fastest car that goes 0 to 60. We pulled up the Tesla Roadster. 1.9 seconds. That's fast. Then we looked at the price. Base model, $200,000. So I'm out. Okay? <laughs> that's not going to happen. All right. Um, but looking at that and wanting it when I can't have it, that's covetousness. Covetousness. There's a whole lot of people in the United States of America in 2018. They're so materialistically minded. They've got to always have the latest and the greatest and the best. And their idea of having things is so out of balance. And uh, while it's not the point of the sermon this morning, I'll just quickly uh, uh, add this and move on. Uh, Things cannot bring you long term joy. Can't do it. That new pair of shoes, ladies, it might put a smile on your face for a few minutes. But in six months, it's going to sit in your closet, and you're going to forget you ever had it. That new cell phone that just came out, that might make you happy for a short time. But in six months, you're going to come... Well, probably in two weeks, you're going to come out with something newer. And you're you're going to be out of date. And so always wanting to have the, the nice things of life. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. Nothing wrong with that. But if you are always... Uh, wanting to have things make you happy and that's your source, my friend, what you end up doing is worshipping those things and worshipping uh, uh, that, uh, that ideology and that is idolatry. So idolatry can be inconspicuous. The reality, the reality of Christian idolatry, they are uh, invented, they are inferior and they are inconspicuous. Number two, notice the removal of Christian idolatry, the removal of Christian idolatry. You say, okay, pastor, you got me. I have altered God into being a God that is convenient for the way I live my life. What am I to do about it? From the pastor on down, I believe that this is something that can get all of us. This is something we all can struggle with. We have a sin that has settled into our life and heart, whether it's pride or Lust of the eyes or the lust of, uh, uh, lust of the flesh. Some subcategory that falls under there. It's entrenched itself in our heart. Am I the only one that ever deals with entrenched sins? Am I the only one here? You know, sin can get hold of you when you're young. And it can live in your heart for 20, 30, 40 years. And you try your best to kick it out. And after a while, you just give up, don't you? And you say, well, God, you're just going to have to live with that. And God, you're just going to have to love me instead. And he does love you in spite of that. But boy, he sure wants you to kick that habit. We watch a TV show or a movie that's not appropriate, violates the Bible. To our millennial crowd, we play video games that are filled with violence and promiscuous living, we just show up at church on Sunday and say, well, we're good. I put in my time with the Lord. Well, I I prayed before I ate my food. Probably probably the same prayer you always pray, right? It's Christian idolatry. You say, okay, Pastor, well, what do I do about it? Let me give you some biblical thoughts here about how to remove Christian idolatry when you do identify it, whether that's now or down the road. Letter A, notice, we must search our hearts. We must search our hearts. Psalm 139. David. David was called at his anointing a a man after God's own heart. Boy, what a powerful statement. God, I want to know your heart. And I want my heart to be in line with your heart. I want the way I live to be in line with the way that you want me to live. I want uh, my heart to be pure and clean and right and holy. And God, I'm going to regularly search my heart. And when I discover things that uh, you disapprove of or that you don't like, I'm going to work to get rid of them. And I'm going to work to purify and keep clean and keep right. And and, and God, I'm going to do my absolute best uh, so that my heart can be pure before you. You. And God says, David, that's not good enough that just you inspect. I need to inspect. Look at verse 23. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, David said, it's not good enough that I inspect. I need you to inspect. I sometimes send my children uh, to clean their rooms and they'll come back and say, all right, dad, room's clean. Can I, can I watch my show again? And I'll say, No, no, no. I need to inspect your room. And I'll walk in the room and you know, there's toys on the floor still and all the parents here, you know what I'm talking about, right? And um I'll uh I'll inspect. And it's on a whole nother level. We had white glove in college every so often. Now, when the, the floor supervisor walked through, you know, you could get away with dust under the bed or whatever it was. But when the dean of men came walking through, dean of women came walking through the girls' dorms, they put this white glove on. Those of you in the military know what I'm talking about, right? And they would, uh, they would go to town looking. That was a whole nother level of inspecting. The truth is, Christian, you can search your heart, and you can search your heart, you can search your heart. But are you allowing God to search your heart? You come into church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whenever it is that you attend, your prayer ought to be, Lord, I'm here today so I can be more like you, so I can be closer to you. So if there is a corner of my heart that isn't clean, if you point it out, I promise you I'll work on it. You have my promise, I'll do that. What if Jesus were to come to your house this afternoon? Now, we know that Jesus, or God, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we know that God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. But what if Jesus were to come down in the form of man, incarnate himself again, and he were to come to your house for lunch? And let's say you knew about it a week ahead of time. And so you scoop up all the things in your home that you know would not honor him and please him, and you hide them in the spare bedroom. Jesus comes in and he starts, you know, perusing around your house. And you're safely, carefully walking by him. Yeah, here's my basement. Oh, and here's the living room. You like that Bible verse on the wall, Jesus? You just put it up the day before, you know? And, uh, but it's there. And, uh, you go in the kitchen and, uh, you know, you got all the cute little anecdotal Christian messages all over the kitchen that are there. And uh, you uh, take him and you show him the bedrooms and Jesus comes to a closed door. And he says, well, what's in here? You say, well, Jesus, you're not welcome in that room. Well, why not? Well, let's not talk about that. But I don't want you in there. Now, I want you to imagine that house... As compartments of your heart. Is there a room in your heart that Jesus is not allowed in? Is there a part of your heart where you say, you can have all the rest of it, but not this? My friend, you are changing God into a God that's convenient for you. You need to ask him to search your heart. And when he shines a flashlight in a corner that is filled with sinful living, you need to say, yes, sir, with right hand. Yes, sir, right away. I'm going to clean that up. So letter A, we must search our hearts and allow him to search our hearts. Letter B, we must stand for right. We must stand for right. Back in Judges 6 where we began with Gideon this morning. Gideon, this young man. By the way, if you don't know the story of Gideon. and uh, it, it, By the way, if you like military stuff. Read the book of Judges. It's filled with military stuff. You'll enjoy that. I mean, there's a uh, there's a uh, a judge that kills a, a king that's larger than large with a knife, uh, and uh, there's there's just all kinds of great military stories in the book of Judges. It's a phenomenal book to read. There's the story of of uh, Gideon here. I won't give you the whole story, but the end is that he he defeats the armies of Midian, which are several hundred thousand strong, with 300 men. It's phenomenal. It's a great story. So go back and read Judges 6 and 7 in your own time there. But uh, here we find him back with his house. And by the way, a great point here. Before he could lead the country, he had to first lead his own family. He could not stand up and lead the army until he could lead it home. Verse 28 of Judges 6. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down That was by it. And the second bullet was offered upon the altar that was built. I'm sure his dad woke up that morning and stretched out and went out to do his normal ritualistic routine of bowing down to the false altar of Baal. And he went down and it was gone. And uh, he went out and he could see it was gone. And it upset him. It, it tipped over the apple cart. It, it caused problems within the home. In fact, Gideon had to leave and not be around uh, because of the anger of his father. But uh, uh, here he said, I'm going to stand for right. I'm not going to allow idolatry in my home. I'm going to do what's right. And i got to say that if you're going to stand for Jesus and you're going to stand for worshiping God, for who He is and how He is, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take some courage. It's going to take some courage. That it might be difficult for you to stand up and say, "We're going to start, uh, we're going to start doing family altar at home, or we're going to start attending church more regularly, or we're going to start uh, 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 giving uh, at the church house in a way that honors and pleases the Lord, or we're going to live our life in a way uh, that's different than what it has been. The culture in our home going to change, and we're going to get the worldly flavor out. We're going to stop uh, uh, changing God into who we want Him to be, and we're going to worship the God of the Bible in exactly the way He is. That may not be popular, and God needs to give you." wisdom and how to do it and when to do it and the ways to do it. But uh, what we need to do is take a stand for what's right. Take a stand for what's right. That's not easy to do. It takes courage. But if you're willing to do it and you're willing to stand up to idolatrous uh, uh, living in your own heart and idolatrous living in your home, God will give you courage to do that. Letter C. We see we must be selective. May I have you turn back over to Second Chronicles chapter 24. 2 Chronicles chapter 24 and verse 18. I'm almost done here. Sometimes you read a verse in the Bible and it just says it all. As I studied and prepared for the sermon, I've read most every verse in the Bible on idolatry. And boy, this one this one stood out from many of the others. It said there, and they left I'll begin reading Second Chronicles twenty four, eighteen, and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers, and served groves and idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem, for this their trespass. Many of you here this morning are guilty of trying to both worship and devote yourselves to God and sinful living. Notice here that for them to worship idols, they had to depart from the house of the Lord. They left the house of the Lord and went and bowed down. To idols. So I ask you a question this morning, what's it going to be today? Are you going to worship the God of the Bible or are you going to worship your version of God? Because you can't do both. You need to be selective. You need to choose on purpose. Are you going to allow God to be God, exactly who He is and how He is? Are you going to follow Him the way He wants you to follow Him? Or are you going to do it on your terms? Are you going to try to uh, uh, worship God over here and live a sinful life over here? Are you going to try to ride the fence because God says, get in and worship me or get out and worship yourself in sin? But you cannot do both. You need to be selective. Letter D, we must sanctify our temple. We must must be selective. We must sanctify our temple. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 16. And uh, the, we, we read second Corinthians six oftentimes in reference. The uh, be not unequally unme- yoked together with unbelievers further down as that thoughts being continued. Uh, we find this second Corinthians six sixteen. 16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are. The temple of the living God. Alright, how many of you here this morning have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Would you raise your hand if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you? Then you are a temple. You are a temple and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You are encasing or in-housing God. So do you have God in this corner of your heart and... Idols over here in this part of your heart is there the God of the Bible in this part of the heart that moved in and took up residence upon your salvation and then your version of God over here in this corner The Bible says here that uh, you are the temple of the living God as God had said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their people and they shall be my people Again, the verse says what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? There is no agreement That the temple of God should have idols inside of it. It's either that you worship God or you don't. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's no room for Christian idolatry. So that word sanctify means to clean up. There are a few times in the Old Testament where men went into the temple, the Old Testament temple, and set up groves and idols to other gods. And people would come into God's temple... And bow down and worship these false gods. You want to make the God of the Bible angry really quick? You want vengeance poured out on you really quick? Then put idols inside of his temple. Whew. That doesn't settle well with God. There's an echo in the room. Alright. Let's not do that, folks. Let's not have a version of God over here and then God over here. Number three, and lastly, we end on a positive note, notice the rewards of Christian integrity. The reward of Christian integrity. I'm going to take you to one more place this morning and I'll wrap it up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9. God has an incredible reward if you'll just choose to worship Him how He is. The purpose of the message this morning isn't to try to convince you to be perfect. It's to convince you that when something is pointed out that's wrong in your life, that you're going to work hard at removing it, and you're going to honor God and his word exactly how it is, not grow indifferent toward, uh, toward it. Look there, chapter 1, verse 9. It says, for they, speaking of the Thessalonians, they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, before the Thessalonians were reached, they were facing this way with idolatry. The day came where they saw how empty it was to worship something that they had invented. To worship something that was inferior to the God of heaven. And they left the idols and they 180 degrees turned over here and they gave their back to the idols and said we're going to worship the true and living God. We're done with those idols. It's here. So you notice that when they worshipped their idols their back was to God and when they worshipped God their back was to the idols and they said we're going to worship God and we're going to forget Forget about the idols, and they were greatly rewarded for that. You ask, well, what reward, what tangible reward is there if I choose Christian integrity? I choose to worship God and live the Christian life uh, the way he intended it to be lived. What are the rewards? Well, life lived God's way is a life lived to its fullest. You see, God created you, and God knows what's best for you. He wants you to do it His way. Life is lived to its fullest. Life lived God's way, life lived that's worshipping the God of the Bible, yields eternal rewards, eternal rewards from our Maker and King. Heaven will be filled with rewards for you for doing it the right way. But you say, well, what about here on earth? Well, life lived God's way is a life filled with joyous relationships. Stubbornness and covetousness brings hurt and pain to relationships. When you choose to worship the God of the Bible, he fills your relationships with joy. You want a happy marriage? You want a, 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 a children that honor you and honor the Lord? Do you want a, a relationship with co-workers and with others? Then do it God's way and he'll bring you through in those situations. Life lived God's way brings about a heart of heavenly wisdom and knowledge that gets you through the struggles of life. Life lived God's way brings about great balance in life, and boy, balance can be hard to find, can't it? Balance seems to be elusive, something we struggle with. When you do it God's way, we find that balance. When we alter God and we change him into who we want him to be, we turn God into our enemy. And none of these rewards are available to the Christian. Let me ask a very hard-hitting question right here in closing. Christian, are you worshiping God, or are you expecting God to worship you? You see, another way to put this is, are you worshiping God, or are you worshiping yourself? We change God into what we want out of a love for self. Let's love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many here this morning again and say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life where my eternal destination was changed. I was born on my way to hell, but I put my faith in Jesus. And he saved me. I know, I know, I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not because of who I am and what I've done, but because of what he did for me and my faith in that. Here's my hand in testimony of that this morning. I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. How many here would say this morning, Pastor, I don't know. If I were to die, I don't know I'd go to heaven. I'm not 100% sure. If that's you, I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to call out your name. I'm not here to make a spectacle of you. I just want to pray for you. That's why everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed right now. If you don't know that you're saved, I'd like to just, in the privacy of the moment, pray for you. So if you're here today and you don't know that if you were to die, that God would let you into His heaven, and you'd like to know that, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Is there one? Is there one? I see a hand there. Thank you very much. I'll pray for you. Salvation is very simple. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, ma'am. You call on His name. You must understand that you are a sinner. And that God hates sin, but He loves you. That He died on the cross for you. In just a moment, some, we're all going to stand. Some people will come forward to pray. and would encourage you to come down. Pastor Mike is standing right here. He would love to take the Bible or have a lady take the Bible. And show you how you can know that you're going to heaven someday. How many here today say, Pastor, in a sense, I guess, reluctantly or not, I admit that maybe there has been some philosophical idolatry in my heart. I have been worshiping a version of God that maybe isn't totally biblical. Pastor, would you pray for me that I would surrender and worship God exactly as He is and allow Him to work in my heart? If that's you, would you raise your hands? I can pray for you. Many hands. How many days say, Pastor Lejeune, I am going through a very trying time in my life right now. Pastor, would you pray for me that God would help me through these difficulties? If that's you, can I see your hand? Would you pray for me, Pastor? I'm going through a very trying time. And I need to know that God's by my side. I need to see His hand of love present in my life. Lord, would you be with those that are carrying burdens, trials, Lord, we know that sometimes you choose to calm the storms of our life and sometimes you choose to calm your children through the storm. But Lord, would you make yourself very real and bind these folks up in your arms. Lord, would we worship you exactly as you are. For this one that raised a hand for salvation, would you help this one to find your saving grace today. Be with us during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the altar's open. How about it this morning as the piano plays? Would you come and tell the Lord that you want to worship Him exactly as He is? You want the God of the Bible to be your God, not some altered version.